welcome to the Constructionist Podcast, hosted by Caleb. Just as we grow gardens and build buildings, God is building you through the renewing of your mind. The sufficiency of the scriptures is paramount in your journey, and every week, Caleb will challenge you to make them a central part of your life and worldview. Join us now as we explore the world through the ancient lens of God's Word. Hello friends, welcome back to the show. It's another edition of the Constructionist Podcast coming from the car. So we hope that you will enjoy what you're going to hear today. We're talking about issues of the mind and what you put your mind to or towards. So, you know, when you read the Bible, uh, I don't know if you've gone back and listened to any of our previous podcast. I did one on Sigmund Freud a number of weeks ago, several months ago. It was one of our earlier podcasts. And in that podcast, I talked about Freud and I talked about him being the father of psychology or he's called the father of psychology as if nobody thought that there was a sort of underlying aspect to anyone's thinking until Freud came along. That's what I find quite silly and frustrating about the idea of Freud because the Bible has talked about the mind and the emotions and the will and the spirit and in effect the subconscious and the conscience for a long time, thousands of years to be exact. But for some strange reason when Sigmund Freud came along, now everybody thinks that he was the one that suddenly discovered this idea of the subconscious or of the soul or something like that. So, uh, he didn't. It's in the Bible. And as a matter of fact, the word psychology comes from the Greek word suke. So, suke-ology, psychology. The ology is the study of, biology, theology, whatever. Uh, Ology is the study of, anthropology, whatever word you want to throw in there. But the word suke uh, comes from the Greek word meaning to breathe. So, uh, ultimately, suke means to breathe. So, take a breath. Now, uh, it also is translated in the New Testament as life and soul. Because when you think about it, if you are breathing, that is the primary indication that you're alive, is if you're breathing. So, often if somebody is in a medical state and they are unable to breathe on their own and they are on a breathing machine then if they are unplugged from that breathing machine, they'll die. And so uh, breathing is the number one thing. I've worked in nursing homes in the past and hospitals, and I tell you what, at 3 o'clock in the morning when you're making your rounds, you'll go in there and you'll stare at a person to see if they're breathing. That's how you know if they're alive. That's the most basic thing. So suke is about being alive. It's about breathing. It's, but also it is the soul. And it is used in the scriptures as both life and soul. And so when we talk about psychology, we have to realize that the New Testament is full of teachings about our soul, about our suke, about our psychology. And ultimately, the Old Testament is as well. And there's really no distinction between the two on the grand scheme because we can go back all the way to the Old Testament and see that 
when we get to uh, as early as Genesis chapter 2, it's the soul. It says that it only it's using the Hebrew word nefesh. And so it says in Genesis 2 verse 7 that God breathed into the body of Adam the breath of life and he became a living nefesh or a living soul or a living being as some translations put it. So it's not that the Bible doesn't evolve itself in things like this. It does. And we could read the Bible and discover exactly what God has to say about the way we should think. And so we're going to kind of look at that a little bit right now uh, with this verse in Isaiah 26. So let's read Isaiah 26, and we're going to read up through verse 4. And I'm going to point out a few things in the Hebrew. So it says, In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. This is Isaiah 26. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. And it goes on from there. But it says... You, that will be God, you will keep in perfect peace the mind stayed on God. The mind that is stayed, it says literally, because he trusts in you. So your mind has to be aimed toward God himself, toward Yahweh. Okay? So this is one verse out of a lot where it uses the word, or it talks about your mind. But this is a, an interesting place here. It's not the word nefesh for soul. It's certainly not Greek suke. It's Hebrew. And so let's look at this as we read it. You will keep him in perfect peace. All right, so here is the promise. Here is the statement of intent that God wants to give is perfect peace. So in Hebrew now, this word perfect peace. It's actually the same word in Hebrew repeated twice, because in Hebrew, when you repeat something, uh, if you say something twice or repeat something, it makes it infinitive. It makes it not infinitive. It makes it emphatic. It makes it a very important thing. It's like in English when we say very, or in this case, uh, the, the, the word perfect peace. And so it's actually the word shalom, shalom is what it is. In Hebrew, shalom is peace. It's the, it's the greeting that they give everybody even to this day, they say uh, Shabbat Shalom on Saturdays, because and they say Shalom is a form of greeting. But they're saying peace to you. It's a lovely way to greet somebody when you just. I mean, hello doesn't really have any sort of intrinsic meaning other than a polite way to acknowledge another person. You say hello or hi or something like that. But to say Shalom, to say peace, uh, is a really nice way of indicating how you want that person's life to be, how you want your interactions with that person to be at that moment. You want things to be peaceful. And we all want something. We all want peaceful, you know. Uh, you, you hear about these people that have drama around them all the time. Well, you know, nobody really wants somebody with drama to show up at work in the morning. Because then it just throws everybody into a tizzy. Either they bring that with them or whatever, you know. And we kind of have an unwritten rule in our work environment that you don't bring drama to work. And most of the guys don't. 
bring drama to work. Every now and then it'll happen, but most of the time, no drama comes to work. And so we're all very happy about that, ultimately, because it makes for a peaceful working environment. But this idea of perfect peace, God will keep the person in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. So the word mind there is yetzer, yetzer. And that word means form or framing or framework, something like that. It's used when you're shaping pottery is what it is. And so what it implies is that your mind is moldable, that you have a moldable mind. And everybody actually does have a moldable mind, especially when they're very, very young, particularly when they're very, very young. This is why you throw kids into school at the age of three, four, five years old, because at that age, they're able to learn languages very quickly. They absorb information very quickly. Their brain is snapping on all of its synapses. And if they are instilled correctly with the right experiences and knowledge and way of thinking about things from an early age, then that will get them foundationally right for the rest of their life. But if they have some kind of trauma or if they are somehow uh, hindered in their growth or something to that effect or they're taught the wrong thing, it could mess them up for the rest of their life. And so it's those very young and formative days that are the most important. But ultimately, it happens in cycles. And so statistically, if you've read the book Already Gone by Ken Ham, he talks about kids who have left the church when they turn 18, 19 years old and move away from home and go off on their own to university. And most of them make the decision to dump out on church when they're about 12 or 13 years old. And so the issues begin much earlier because that's another part of the cycles. When you're about 11, 12, 13 years old, that's when you start testing the things that you have learned over the course of your life up to that point. And so parenting style becomes very important at this, at this point. Because if you are a heavy-handed parent or a parent that is very rule-based, then you may end up creating a child that doesn't see the relationship between the rules that you've put on them and life. And then they start questioning things. Okay. Now, if you want to be brave in your parenting, do this. I have done this with my children a couple times. I did it with my daughter just the other day. Because my daughter, she'll come to church and I'll do Bible studies and I'll share at church. And I asked her here just a few weeks, a couple days ago, I think. And I said, do you ever sit there and think to yourself, oh, that dad of mine, he may be saying that right now, but he doesn't live that. And, I, and she responded and said, no, I don't think I've ever thought that before. And I've done that with my son as well, who's now about 16 years old. But when he was about 13 or 14 or so in there, there were times I would say to him, uh, do you f- ever think that, that your mom and I are acting like hypocrites or that we're not practicing what we preach? And at the time he said, no, I don't think I've ever noticed that. It's, you know, I think you guys are consistent in what you say. And so... It's a good thing to ask your kids sometimes because kids 
will point out where you are a hypocrite, a hypocrite if you are honest with your children and if they are honest with you then and if they point those things out then you need to start thinking to yourself well where am I going wrong what is it that is uh, happening here that they are not thinking that I am living up with what I actually say is my walk and my talk going together and so the mind is a moldable thing it is a thing that can be formed and a thing that can be shifted and a thing that can be changed and right now in government and in mass media there are ways that people are using the internet and using social media to swing opinions of voting and things like that because they know that they have to you know subliminally or actively or somehow change people's minds uh, I've also recently listened to a podcast where they talked about the same sort of thing with China and how China uses apps that it, it has controlling share of in order to basically educate people toward a communist way of thinking. And so the world is trying to grasp your mind. The world is trying to get you to think a certain way. It's either in secular education as we talked about with John Dewey in one of our previous podcasts, or it's in psychology, or it's in politics, or it's in social media, or something like that. Did you know that one of that Sigmund Freud's nephew, um, Bernay, was his name, Bernays? Um, he was very instrumental in mass advertising and mass media back in the back in the day, I guess, in the 50s and the 40s and the 30s and in those kind of eras. A fascinating subject to look up. Uh, Edward Bernays, I think was his name, if I remember correctly. And he was a nephew to Sigmund Freud. And he had a massive impact on American thinking regarding uh, things as basic as like the like what's considered a, a good breakfast and things like that. But his means of advertising and getting people to purchase things was quite stunning how he went about doing it. And so minds are moldable and we may think that we don't have a moldable mind, but we do. So God is the one who can change a mind for the best. And so if your mind is moldable by God and by the scriptures, then you will acquire his way of thinking. And when you require his way of thinking, you require the most sound way of thinking about things. And so, because we know that the character of God is one of patience and love and peace and things like that. So now, let's look at the next word on our list. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, shalom, shalom, whose mind, the yetzer, that moldable element of you, is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So if you aim your trust toward God... Uh, it, this is the word in the New King James and King James is stayed. The word is stayed. But the Hebrew word there is samek. Samek. And so that is actually one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. The word, the letter samek. And so this word means to lean or to lay or to rest or to be supported or uphold or lean upon. Okay? So if your mind is stayed on God... It's leaning upon God. It's it's resting upon God. And that also has comes in with the element of trust. If you're trusting in something. I have jumped out of an airplane with a parachute on me. I have rappelled over the edge of a cliff with a rope. 
I have got into airplanes and had them take off with me inside 30,000 feet above the surface of the earth. Uh, I get in a car and I drive down the road and I uh, trust that other people will not pass me like I am right now. That car just drove by me and he did not swerve into me and hit me head on and kill me. Uh, I trust that when I sit in a chair, it'll hold me up. Now, sometimes a chair will break. Of course it will. But the fact is, is that when you drive a car or when you're in an airplane or when you jump out of the airplane with that parachute on you or you jump off the side of a cliff with that rope attached to you, you expect it to hold you up. And you want you have to put your trust into it. You put your trust into the pilot. You put your trust into the engineers that design the car that it's going to work properly. You put your trust in the person driving down the road at you at 70 miles an hour. Is that person uh, thinking about his own life to the point that he can not crash into somebody else? <laughs> you know these kind of things. I hope he's not texting on his phone. But you put your trust ultimately in God. He is the number one person that you should put your trust into. He's the highest thing. He is the biggest plane. He is the strongest rope. He is the most uh, seaworthy ship. He's the most reliable car. He's all these things. If you put your trust in the scriptures and in the word of God, then that will bring you a shalom shalom. It will be a perfect peace. But God has to mold your mind to thinking along those lines. Now, the biggest change for many people happens when they become a believer and they turn from darkness to light and they put their trust for salvation into Jesus who died on the cross and saved in order to save them from their sins and give them an entirely new perspective on life. And over time, when enough people happens, it'll change culture, and it'll change society, and it'll change families. But it, be, but it happens one by one by one. So this word samek, to lean on, or to, be, or to have support, the Hebrew letter there, it, it, the s sound, the samek, it begins with that Hebrew letter, and the Hebrew letter is the letter samek. And so it's the word and the letter at the same time. So the letter is amazing in that it is the only Hebrew letter that is a complete circle. Uh, it has no open parts to it. And so there's a kind of mystery to it. The way the rabbis talk about this letter is that it's mysterious in that it's closed. And so when you write it, it looks like a circle. It looks like the letter O. Uh, but it's not, Hebrew's not like in English where you have the capital letter or lowercase letter B or the letter P that actually has uh, a completely closed portion of it. So you think of a B, it's completely closed. There's bits in the middle and, or the O as well or the A, the capital A or the lowercase A do the same thing. But in Hebrew, the only letter that does it is this letter Samek. And so there's a mystery to it because it's closed. You You don't there's no way to get in inside of it. And so that's how the rabbis talk about it. So it's a mysterious letter, uh, but so is trusting in God. It's a mysterious thing. Just like, because you can't see God. You, you can't, uh, when you grab that rope and swing out over the water, you're hanging onto the rope. You're doing that in your own strength. But when it's God... It's not a physical thing that you can do per se. You have to put mental activity into trusting Him. When your bank account gets low, 
when you have that illness, when you're having a tough day at work, when things aren't going to work out the way, uh, if it's if you're not sure how things are going to work out, if you're not sure what your future is, if you have questions about life and things like this, that it that just you. The way you've been going, one of the ladies at church yesterday was talking about this. She said, you know, she tried this, she tried that, she was on medication, she tried to do all sorts of things in her own strength until in the end she had to give herself over to the Lord for him to actually do a change in her life. And she was dramatically changed over the last two or three years. She has dramatically changed because she gave her life over to the Lord. She has acquired perfect peace. She has acquired shalom, shalom. And so that's what this verse is all about, is if you trust in the Lord with everything, with your children, with your marriage, with your life, with your career, with your education, with your uh, the day that you have before you, uh, all these things, if you put these things on God, it says in the New Testament that all of your anxieties, all of your cares, you can put on him uh, and let him sort those kind of things out but it is a willful act that you have to perform in your head in order for that to happen because if it doesn't happen then you're ultimately trusting in yourself and you are not letting God do the thing for you now who is the highest mind the highest mind is God's mind and God's mind can look down and penetrate into every other mind that there is. And so if we allow God according to his word and his way of doing things, if you allow him to have that control, then you will gain that perfect peace, but you have to let him do it. If you don't let him do it, then you are uh, off working in your own strength, like I said. And so it turns into a battle between you and him. Are you going to be in control or is he going to be in control? Now, there's days where it doesn't feel like he's in control, but he is in control. And so there are those moments where we don't want to rely on our emotions or our anxi- or whatever. We have to let God do what God does. So this verse says, if you have to have perfect peace, you put your mind on him. And this is the kind of thing that could be borne out over and over again in many, many scriptures. If you go back and read or listen to the podcast we did called ISIS, Imprisoned for His Faith with Peter Yasek, uh, I don't point this verse out, but this verse is pointing, but his life is pointing out that this verse is true. And so I'd recommend that book if you ever have a chance to read it. So God bless you. Uh, Meditate on this verse. Let it go over and over again in your mind and see, are you the kind of person who is putting your trust and leaning upon the Lord for uh, that perfect peace that he promises. God bless you and have a good day.